0: Hello and welcome to the HMO Success Podcast. This is episode 56 and today I'm really delighted to be joined by a fantastic guest. His name is Richard James Nichols and he is the Managing Director of The Property Advantage, a specialist HMO buying and selling brokerage. Welcome to the HMO Success Podcast. My name's Wendy and this podcast will help you invest in houses of multiple occupation. I am delighted today to have a fantastic guest on the show, Uh, a guest who probably needs no introduction. His name is Richard Nichols from the Property Advantage. And I'm really pleased to have Richard on the show today because Richard has got a fantastic purview of the HMO market. And we'll understand why in a moment when he explains what he does for a living. And his business is called The Property Advantage. If you are on Facebook and you have shown an interest in HMOs, I'm sure you will have seen his posts, uh, which are funny, sometimes uh, controversial, certainly uh, memorable. And uh, certainly he writes what I'd say posts that have no BS. In fact, that should really be your tagline no BS here. (laughs) <laughs> Richard. So Richard, welcome to HMO Success Podcast. It's great to have yeah, you today. Hi, thank, so yeah, no here today. Yeah, no
1: worries. Um, yeah, thank you for asking me. It's nice to um, sort of chat again. We, we met first time a few years back in uh, in crew and kept in touch and, you know, done a little bit of business together. So it's nice to be on, on your podcast, Wendy. Yeah?
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. Yes, indeed we did. So Richard, what I'd like to know is just let's kind of go back a bit and give a bit of context. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about you, your background and how you started TPA.
1: So property sales, is where originally I you know, literally straight out of school into an estate agent as a trainee. Um, so we're talking 17, 18, lot no, longer than that, 18, 19 years ago in property sales and just kind of skipping all that kind of estate agency side, like everybody, which is where I think a lot of my uh, no BS comes from. I did the whole, I'm gonna be a property sourcer I'm gonna earn 10,000 pounds a month in about five. I did all that 10, 12 years ago. Um, and actually that was when you did actually get a little bit of success with it because you put a little advert in the back of the newspaper saying, yeah, we'll buy your house in seven days and obviously you worry about that later when you get a phone call (laughs) but, um, you know, you could actually genuinely pick up BMV properties and sell them on to investors and I think, you know, around that time um, you know, it was just before sale and rent back was was banned and uh, same day remortgages and things like that so it felt very much that everything around that time was was working and there was a little bit of traction, did a few deals and, um, you know, I've always been in people's living rooms valuing houses and that's, that's kind of my specialist subject really. So um, gradually um, moving that forward, more and more working in with investors and with landlords, um, realizing that there was a real niche for HMO sales uh, and for HMO brokering more specifically, um, because there's a kind of, there's a big drop-off, or do you go to a, a saucer to sell a HMO, um, which many people do, uh, but technically a saucer, by nature of their job description, is trying to get a deal for the investor. So, mm. you know, uh, you're not really working for the HMO landlord. And particularly, there's lots of people that want to buy HMOs, uh, buy the kind of, you know, the residential property, add value, and then refinance you know, that's the, that's the source's involvement in HMOs kind of, you know to, to work with people that want to add value and then you know refinance money out but who specializes in selling the the finished product um, you know the, the already up and running hMO um, so started focusing on that probably properly three and a half years ago um, and blocks of flats and portfolios as well um, and it really clicked, kicked into play probably just over two years ago when my current business partner who, who was like you, just a client, um, worked with, with sole property. Um, she's the absolute opposite of me. So I'm just a complete toe rag running, running around valuing properties and <laughs> r- terrible at admin, terrible at, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's. But, you know, I, I know my way around listing properties and giving the right advice and the right marketing plans. And then Jessica's come on board uh, and she's just that, Know back of house system structure. um, And the other kind of yin and yang marriage that we had was you know, she she wasn't, she'd never done property sales. So she's never uh, worked in an estate agency because we're trying to be HMO brokers. um, And what I always say to the team is if if we're not careful, we'll just fall into becoming an estate agent because, you know, that's the, the, the most similar, I suppose, company that's aligned to us so having jessica there who you know she has got no idea about what estate agents do and how they operate it's great because it's just purely from a hmo investor's point of view what does she need to sell a hmo and then we've catered the business around my experience as well yeah so it's gone yeah i say it's gone very very well just no advertisement um just purely as you've have used you experience just, just working for landlords doing a good job moving on to the next um,
0: yeah word of mouth very very powerful uh, tool for advertising marketing isn't it
1: yeah, and it's culminated in. Um, I mean, I, I mean, you've seen from some of my posts. I will certainly this year visit. I'll, I'll visit probably well over five hundred this year. Um, walk in, assess them, walk around as as I did with 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 your few, and um, and that just gives me a real unbiased. I'm just full time traveling around the country, looking at all these HMOs, every single market, every single market. All you know, they're very very different. Doncaster to to Brighton to barrow in finesse, you know, I go around them all. And it's just, I find it really interesting because they're so different. And, you know, HMOs, they do work everywhere, but they also don't work everywhere. Um,
0: and I think that's what I'd love to hear a bit more about because that absolutely fascinates me too is how the HMO market is similar or different in different parts of the UK so what's the kind of extremes that you've seen where have you seen you know really a, a contrast in HMOs I'd love to know more about that are they in different parts of the country are they different types of HMO what have you seen and experienced that's kind of made your eyes bulge and where you've got oh that's unusual
1: yeah well I think to be honest, uh, we we see, um, so the big, big differences. So, you, you know, you can be in somewhere, use an example like Leeds or something like that, um, which is why we do research before we go. Because, you know, in Leeds, you can be in a student HMO, which, believe it or not, they're exchanging hands at as low as 9% gross yield for a student HMO in good part of Leeds. Crazy money, really, when you think about, you know, it's a northern town, and they, they are, and they're selling. I mean, some of them are selling for as low as 8%. Um, I, and it's completely mind-boggling. And then you can walk a mile down the road, or I probably wouldn't walk; I'd drive down, a mile down the road in you know another part of Leeds, where it's just a kind of blue-collar working uh, back-to-back terrace. And you'd be up to twelve percent, and it's it's crazy. And this this I find that the intricacies um, the intricacies in, in each individual town can be quite extreme, as well as um, you know, as well as the products that are coming around. I think there's pros and cons for. You know, we get buyers that purely just want to invest in student because, you know, that's what they know. They tend to, they were a student once previously and they, you know, they might be buying uh, a HMO in Harrogate, you know, or, or Leeds University or Bristol to house their kid. And they, you know, they, they invest in a property in Leeds or, you know, to, it's like a six bed HMO and one of them's going to be their son or daughter in one of the rooms and they're just investing while they're there for three years. And, you know, you, that's a very specific market, but also... There's this gravy train of boutique HMOs coming off the conveyor belt almost everywhere, um, and they've got, in the wrong places, a, a, a very limited shelf life, because if, if, you, if your HMO USP is only, it's the newest one on the street, then you're pretty screwed, really, especially in the non-Article 4 area. Um, and you know, Ranging from certain markets, they will only fill if they're the best HMO, and the amenity standards have really gone up. Um, I think... I don't see the very worst of the HMOs purely because of where my clients come from. And normally they're probably maximum maybe set up between sort of five and seven years ago. And then the landlord has kind of decided to to exit out. So the the oldest ones that we see are probably five to seven years old. Um, We don't see the real horror story, the real slums, you know. um, (laughs) uh, uh, to, To be fair, I do see them, but we turn them down. Yeah. Um,
0: and I suppose probably a lot of those get to uh, be sold at auction, don't they? Because they put, they can't really find a market. There isn't an that necessarily take them on and be successful in selling them on the open market.
1: Yeah, so our service really is we want seller HMO knowing that it's good enough for the new buyer to have three, five, seven years of of kind of you know standard maintenance in, involvement. There's no big bogies in the closet. There's nothing that's going to shock them, and it can cash flow. Going forward from their purchase. And that's what that they're the ones that we sell. Yeah. So if we come across, occasionally we do. Um, and the problem with selling HMOs, because you get asked to value real tired stock sometimes, but the landlord has normally seen the average yield selling price. So for example, where, where you are, crew, they'll say, you know, I know that crew can sell at 12%, 13% gross, but they bring me an absolute asshole, you know, <laughs> and they say, look, it sells at 12%, 13% gross. It, it, yeah, they, they do. But yours needs but 50, 50 grand. Yeah, so there's a there's a detachment from the reality. The landlord still expects them. And to be honest with you, they get they get the price in auction. You know, they put them out in auction and, and you know, there's always an idiot in a London auction that will pay over the price for HMO somewhere along the line. Um, we, we, we try and just hit that middle ground, that consistent, you know, there's a fair valuation between buyer and seller, normally based around a, a yield, based on the income, um, that suits both parties. And, you know, the yield map across the whole country where you know like say Cre- crew might be between 12 and 13 and brighton might be between seven and nine percent gross but they've got their different varied reasons why why different people want, want, want to invest there um, and do,
0: do you see more higher end hmos in certain parts of the country or, or do you think it's sort of fairly evenly spread now
1: um i think it's well i see high-end hmos being developed pretty much everywhere um and w- so for example the other week I went to uh two HMOs one in Bromley one in Beckenham Beck- uh, and they would what you'd be classed as kind of you know high-end boutique sort of HMOs and you walk into the you walk into the HMOs they've always been 100% full the tenants have been there constantly and you walk and the average earning um the landlord said to me the average wage of the tenant is over 50 grand you know <laughs> average yeah and that's a professional HMO, and I walked in there. And there's this, um, it was kind of in between lockdowns. so um, you know a lot of working from home still, and they've all got their Apple Macs. They're all graphic designers, or they're you know, and you walk in, it, it, it's a professional HMO. The, a lot of the other HMOs, um, and and by the way, that, that just sold instantly. You know, it sold out at about eight point three percent gross yield. You know, because it's a very you can, you, you can see who's in there, you can see the quality of tenant and they've got big deposits that they're, they're in there for a year, two years each, you know, each tenant. It's a, it's a completely different HMO market. Um, and if you take that, there's nothing wrong with upping the amenity standards in certain areas and having the best HMO. And I think the ensuite rooms, the stylish, the designed HMOs, you know, they should really be everywhere because somebody earning 20 grand still deserves to live in, a, live, live in an amazing space. But the issue starts off from the fact that whether it's aiming for that commercial refinance or whether it's because they've they've bought it from a deal packages spreadsheet, it, quite often there's a there's an issue with the room rents that they're expecting. So uh, you know this this one in Beckenham, let's say they they, they were paying 170 pounds a week to live just on the edge of London. Um, you know we see we see uh, some HMO landlords come to us with a with a newly developed HMO in Birkenhead that they've been told they can get 150 pounds a week for, for an ensuite room, you know, and the, the reality is you probably will get 150 pounds a week once from someone who's just divorced, just split up with his missus. And he's earns a decent wage as a builder and he's in there for three months. And then he, you know, and then he leaves. So it's a very, so, you know, so long as it's consistent with the, where the, where the room rates need to settle at, then, you know, there's good you know a good product is deserved everywhere it, you know the, the only problem I have is when and, and when they can't refinance and when they can't fill them they come to me to to basically you know fire sale and get get rid of the HMOs because they've created a product probably based on the refurb and what they've paid for it and, and what their expectations are um, they've, they've created an unsustainable product um, so yeah that's a bit that's a bit of an issue and I, I try I post about that quite a lot and in theory I'm doing myself out with quite a bit of stock if I'm telling people. You know the things I see, but I, you know, there's a there's there's far too many HMOs coming to the market that I'll ever, ever be able to sell. So I'd much rather be honest and say, look, you know, I see this day in day out. These are the issues that uh, you know, if you, particularly if you're you're renovating in non Article Four cheap northern towns, you know, they're not they're non Article Four for a reason, probably because there isn't quite a sustainable demand there yet. Um, you know, and they've not got that. So you, you're always going to be. Three to five to ten HMOs later, your property is going to be, you know, need. you constantly going to have to either keep keep refreshing it, keep refurbing it, and you know, room rates will will go down over time in places like that. Um, so, yeah, I think probably that's the biggest issue that I see, is separate to managing agents, which you'd probably be pleased to hear, um, you know, because um, you know, managing agents. There's and, and to be honest, with you, I, I use you as an example quite regularly um, because. If we've got an HMO developer that also owns HMOs and also owns a HMO-specific management agency, and they're selling one of their HMOs, or you know, uh, we get this—this—we've got twenty or thirty of these type of clients across the country. but They're selling a HMO because you know to raise cap because it's obviously you make you, you can pull more cash out if you sell rather than keep, or you know whatever 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 reason it is. If we can go to our buyers in Hong Kong or in London and say, look, oh, well actually this person they're going to keep the management. So they currently own it, but they're going to keep the management and they also own five or six HMOs locally, that they're going to run as well as yours. That's a big rubber stamp to the investor to say, well, they're clearly not selling it because it's a crap property and they're happy to commit to the management because they believe in it. And it's, it's that kind of, um, you know, the tenants, there's no drop off with tenant service and, you know, because as soon as the completion happens, there's a worry that, you know, the new landlord comes in and the occupancy drops down and that kind of thing. So it's the continuity. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, so- that's
0: interesting. That is, and, of course, in, in my situation, um, it, uh, we'll, we'll move on to this as to why people sell HMOs, but in, in my situation, the reason why um, I was selling HMOs was because of a joint venture. Um, and basically, um, my joint venture partner needed to raise capital and we had some capital stuck in our HMOs we haven't fallen out about it <laughs> although yes I would have preferred to keep those properties but that's life isn't it and, and I think when we met uh, first time round, Richard I was explaining this to you you, you said yeah. that's probably one of the most common reasons why people yeah. do sell HMOs Is, would you say that's still
1: relevant? yeah uh, well I, I, yeah I would yeah because um you know it it's I think in normal stable situations where there's no where there isn't a rush to do anything. So, so to use myself and Jessica as an example, I knew Jessica for over a year prior, before we even discussed going into business together, you know, and you just have that solid relationship and rapport and trust. Uh, it, I don't know where it starts, probably training courses or probably the fact that, um, well, as you know, the property market, it's, a, it's, it's all of our catnip, isn't it? We're all kind of, you know, we all want to be in property. And so there's an urgency. That means that people get into bed together a bit a bit quicker than they would do with other, you know. You would never open a coffee shop with half the people that people own HMOs with. It's just as simple as that, you know. But you know, it's a case of bringing you're told to raise JV finance and you know and, and get partnerships and you know. So we do see um, after however long um, it, it can almost be immediately, and it, you know, but it also could be two three years down the line that there is. You know, a disagreement or a business partner split or a change of plan. We've got, uh, we've we've probably got fifty of them sold at the moment. Where there's where there's JV splits or business partner splits in our pipeline, which ranging from your situation very amicably and it's 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 been protracted and planned for, ranging to um you know got a bit of a problem completely falling out of the bit. I'm doing a portfolio evaluation at the moment where two business partners can't can't even pick up the phone to each other. Yeah, that's it's a got shame, bad. Isn't it? What
0: a sad state of affairs, but it does happen, of course, in life. Um, and apart from those more, uh, you know, sort of relationship-based uh, situations where you find that, you know, the HMO has to be sold, um, yeah. what other reasons are there? It, 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 do you, I mean, presumably you're not going to necessarily take on an HMO where the rooms can't be filled, because, I mean, that's a real downside to the yeah. new investor wanting to buy, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So, um and genuinely, and and I, as you've said at the beginning, you know, I do, I am honest with you, 50% of the HMOs that we get asked to sell are being sold for what you'd class as kind of a negative reason, and 50% is a positive reason, because they are, which is why I, I think there's a place for a specialist HMO sales broker, because, it, you know, they're a pain in the arse to run, and they've got all these variables, and if you get it right, they're amazing, but, you know, because of the variables and because of the, the nature of them, they can also go wrong relatively quickly, mm-hmm. or people can... And not necessarily go wrong, but they're, they're, they're energy driven, and if people can lose the shine off them, if their expectations are too big going in, or you know, so start off with, you know, probably the the, the more negative reasons, and obviously business partner split, um, overestimating where they could refinance that, um, and that's exaggerated if they've borrowed money on a bridge, or um, you know, if they've if they've taken too much JV money and they're in for quite deep, and they're expecting a four hundred thousand pound refinance and it comes in at 300, um, you know, that then triggers a sale. And if, and if it is actually a good product, it's just the fact... Because it's a very different thing. What Shawbrook will say a HMO is worth compared to what a cash buyer from Hong Kong would say it's worth. based If it's... As long as it's a healthy HMO and it's got good income, then in theory, you could always sell out the yield value to a cash buyer um, because they've not got that lending risk attached to it. So... Um, yeah. So that's, that's one reason it just literally stalking and, and, you know, bring it, pull it, pulling money back out. Um, yeah, Business partner split um, worries about occupancy that they've not got the energy to sort out. And a lot of that is coupled with the managing agent. So we get quite a lot of properties that come to us where there's just been a gradual slide in occupancy over time. Um, and normally, So I was always used to letting agents. And as as a letting agent in any town, they could have 500 properties very, very quickly and scale their business up and run it relatively, relatively okay. We see a lot of HMO managing agents come in to the market on our HMOs. They might have five or six HMOs themselves and they think, oh, do you know what? If I had another 50 rooms, I could actually turn this into a small little HMO managing agency. Then you become the best HMO managing agency in that given town. So then all of, if you're not, choosy with what you take on and all of a sudden you can have you know 250 300 hmo rooms and then your service just completely drops um so at that point we get a lot of people asking us to sell the hmos and in, and in theory it's normally just you know realigned with a different managing agent this you know sometimes in the space of six months we see a managing agent going from offering you know really quite on the ball service six months later they've, they've become you know, the most popular HMO managing agent in town, six months later, they've tried to scale up and staff up and it's just gone to pot um, because it is, yeah, it's really hard. I, from what I can see, scaling up and managing agents, specialising HMOs, just seems to be, there's a sweet spot. Um, and, you know, I've seen, the, there's quite a few companies that approach me to try and take our national HMO product, you know, because obviously we're selling, a lot of HMOs across the country. And if, if there's one company, you know, we might have 200 HMOs sold at the moment. And if there's one company, we would recommend it's a lot of business if they could cover nationally. But I've all, I don't believe in national HMO management. I, I believe it's a specialist local, you know, it can be across a couple of locations regionally kind of thing. But, um, you know, I, I, I just don't think that the nuances and the markets with the HMOs I see, it doesn't lend itself to, to national or, or scaling up too much to be honest I think there's a there's a limit where you get the sweet spot the HM managing agents they've got enough to be big enough to have the manpower to to deal with stuff and to provide a hands-off service but they're not too big where they kind of fold in on themselves um
0: interesting yeah yeah, yeah. I mean we we've spoken to a number of people about this and we found that um generally one member of staff can probably manage about i don't know 60 to 70 hmo rooms full-time maybe a bit more than that actually maybe 80 yep. so we've got two members of staff who well we've got three members of staff but one of them is very much back office and sort of operations and then we've got two or more the lettings and sales team who you would have met before richard yeah or certainly had communications with they're both yep. part-time um and we have i think it's about 176 rooms under management at the moment um so I think they do very well. They're, they're pretty assiduous about their, their use of time. But we are getting to that point um, of thinking, if we're going to grow, we're going to have to take number, another member of staff. And we've always had as our maxim, we're not going to take on new HMOs when we haven't filled our previous ones. Yeah. Now, there's all, I think when you get to about over 100 rooms, it's actually very hard to keep them all at 100% occupancy 100% of the mm. time. And our, our, I would say our lettings, uh, our, our occupancy rates are generally between 94 and 96%. Uh, I, I get uncomfortable if they drop below 94%, then yeah. I start to harass and <laughs> lobby the staff. And they know yeah. when it's coming, so they know they have to, you know, get the finger out and have a plan of attack. Um, but generally, we we will only hit 100% occupancy maybe two or three times a year, and, and yeah. we will sort of pop the corks and we're all celebrating um because of course it you know you may have that golden moment where everything is filled but you've always got somebody on notice you you might have somebody who's moved out of a room and you might have already got that room booked out to another tenant but you've got a 24-hour 48-hour checkout and cleaning period Mm -hmm. so to have everything absolutely filled and I, I must admit I always get very cynical and doubtful when I hear people who've got big HMO portfolios claiming they're 100% filled 100% of the time and they're never yeah. having bad debt. I, I, I just don't believe it. It's, I don't think it, it's true.
1: I've, I see it but very rarely and I think from, from what you've described about um, the, the inside of, of, of your you know, at that level at sort of 170, 180 you know just under 200 rooms I, I tend to see that um, it's a, more of a focus on quality then. Rather than quantity, and you know, you can you can still grow the business by making sure that you you you, the quality of the HMOs you've got in any given town. So you become a brand with good quality HMOs, and therefore the occupancy increases locally because you know you get known for being quite a good HMO, and and, you know, and tenants talk, and tenants can move between houses and that kind of thing. So you know, I I I I like it when I hear you know there's a different way of looking at growth because you know you, you you. you grow the letting agents at the beginning, a managing agent, you know, you almost take on any HMO that comes in, but gradually amenity standards start increasing and it gets tougher to fill rooms. So um, I hear it quite regularly that, you know, the focus, I was chatting to a managing agent a couple of weeks ago and he was saying exactly this, he stood outside the house and my focus now is not to increase the amount of rooms. It's to, to to increase the quality. Mm -hmm. And I've got five or six HMOs at the bottom end that are going to be dropping off the bottom end. Um, And I've got, you know, five or six replacements that are going to, be go- going to be coming in, which is going to help my brand, help my stock, um, you know, and then help all the other landlords in the middle because, you know, they're going to be associated with a better brand of, you know, managing agent. And um, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I like to hear. Really. I, I do think it's um, so probably one of the most common um, we, and then to answer, to go back to answering about, you know, who, you know, who sells and why do they sell? Obviously at the moment, um, tax, uh, concerns about capital gains or tax increases. They think, well, okay, well, get out now. There's incorporating. So, you know, they might be held in their own name. Uh, we've got quite a few clients that I had a two-hour Zoom with. So I've got a portfolio coming up down south to, uh, probably next week. And um, they, they're they selling eight HMOs that are in their own name, um, but they're not stopping investing in HMOs. They're just selling, realizing those out their own name, and then, and then going again in their company structure. So we see that quite quite a bit. Um, and then moving on to the positive sides, why, why people sell HMOs? Well, you know, a lot of them see it as a three to five year, you know, come in you know, a lot of people, especially with the, the HMO groups. Uh, I'm talking more kind of the investment groups and the, the training or the franchise groups that are out there with HMOs, um, you know, it's, it, they're there to, to give them extra cash and to give them, you know, something to be able to retire early or to give them that investment. And, you know, we've got a lot of, a lot of our HMO landlords are at that 55, 60, 62 age group where they're just purely coming off the other end and they've had a great HMO portfolio. Um, A lot of them are aware that, you know, it's time for a young person to come in and change the wallpaper, Um, you know, but what you can't ever change is the fact that you've got a good house and a good location. Um, You know, so things like that are are okay to to, to resell. But, yeah, and there's also... we, We work with a hell of a lot of HMO developers where... Um, either by, you can see sometimes people they they don't expect to sell the HMO. They might be coming at it initially for a wrong reason, so they've tried to refinance. They can't get the money out, so then they come to us to sell, and then we get them three hundred seventy-five grand for the HMO, and they go, "Oh, okay, that's not a bad flip." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think and then I'll, they're looking the rest of their portfolio. Oh, you could have this one as
0: well, and that one as well. Yeah,
1: well, that does happen. Yeah, and uh, and then you tend to find that you know we've got loads of clients that are buying too. Um, you know and then keeping one and flipping the other on because you know there is a market for very good you know brand new uh, really good photographs really good we've just employed a uh, like a media and content guy oli who you know he was photographing houses with me 12 13 years ago in chester i've known him for years um, and he's specifically there for that boutique hmo to to get the marketing right for the overseas market because they do they do want to come in and buy the finished product Uh, buy really quality finished product from a quality hmo developer and they pay a premium you know because they're buying down their maintenance they're buying down their risk Um, you know they're not dealing with builders or sources or you know um, they're not going through planning delays or the risk of not getting planning and things like that Um,
0: so do you find that a lot of your um, buyers are from overseas are you getting more buyers from overseas or has that leveled off because obviously they've got the additional stamp duty um, to pay, even though you know that for being an overseas investor,
1: what what's yeah. the spread of um, investment? Well, um, it does vary the spread. Our job, um, which I've had a meeting today with the broker, you know, we're constantly trying to keep on top of that to look at um, the anecdote that I use to to landlords selling. You know, if we list a HMO at the yield value, um, particularly anywhere above the Midlands, you're going to be above bricks and mortar by quite a distance. Um, so. if you put your head above the parapet and come out to sell a HMO on a yield value, 95% of the market, including other investors who want to add value on Facebook and everywhere, they're all going to say, how much? You know, I'm not paying that. So it's our job. All our business does is just concentrate on that 5%, because there's 5% who do want an up-and-running HMO, whether that's an overseas buyer, uh, a husband and wife couple from Berkshire, whether it's an investment fund, whether, you know, what, whatever it is, um, you know, our jobs to make sure that we're dealing with them, in contact with them. So I do a, a you know, a bi-weekly webinar to uh, Asian buyers, const- you know, constantly keep track inter- I've got, uh, currently, I'm going to Hong Kong in October, but it keeps on getting pushed back. Um, I'll probably meet I've probably have 50 meetings and do, a, do, a, do a, um, a presentation to, you know, as many as possible. I was, I've been to Zurich twice last year to meet buyers there. Um, so it takes a lot of energy and focus. And, you know, I think as, as you've seen with us previously, there's little times where you might be in lockdown and the UK buyers might be sat on their hands because there's no access to lending or they're just being told to stay at home. And during that time, the, the REITs and the pension funds were spending their money still. So they were very active and they propped us up, you know, and then the UK market came back last summer quite strong. They were buying a lot of HMOs coming into September last year with the relaxations with the passport um, situation with Hong Kong and, and, and England um, or the United Kingdom. Suddenly last September we were doing £3 million a week cash offers from Hong Kong every week, you know? Um, so it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, so it does it
0: does vary and I suppose you've got to make sure that you've got enough spread of like say that five percent so that if you suddenly if you suddenly see a downturn in one particular investment yeah. investor or type yeah you can push up the energy in another way or do a bit more marketing or more phone calls or something and connect with uh, uh, yeah another and,
1: it, type. And, and it goes down so we're just doing um at the moment we're trying to visualize that because I, I think it's, it's I've got it here where when I'm chatting to landlords and yeah I'm I've got a pie chart which we which we created. We're doing this valuation report where we can adjust the pie chart, and it's you know it's it's where is the likely buyer from, you know, and how they're likely to finance it, and it's given the kind of percentage on the, on the on the pie chart because, you know, yet we've got this five percent. So you know that five percent is hundred percent of our buyers, so to speak. So, you know, and they're at any given time more or less active, but it's very property dependent as well. So if we pick up um, anything in your cheaper northern areas where you're between say 12 and 14 percent uh you're probably 20 to 50 60 grand above bricks and mortar for the average house um talking kind of c4 stuff here still um then that almost certainly the most popular market is the overseas market coming in and buying you know they they, they like the 12 to 13 14 percent gross yields that's that's very strong
0: and are they generally the, buying with cash
1: yeah, cash. Yeah, coming in, coming in with cash. Um, I did get approached by, well, I'd get approached by financial advisors all the time. I had a meeting with a guy um, saying that he can sort mortgages out at sort of 60-ish percent loan to value for them. And I said, well, I can give you their phone number six months after they've bought the property. <laughs> but, you know, we want the cash buyers coming in. We don't want to tell them, you know, because, you know, really, and, you know, there is an option for them to refinance later and things like that yes. and, you know, yes. and go again. But, yeah, and you know, you're looking at it from a motives point of view, Well, if you've got spare cash um, and the Hong Kong buyers that we work with, they're very... They're, they're Western buyers. They speak English. That you, you know, A lot of them have lived and worked in England or America. And, you know, you can pick up the phone and you can chat to them. Uh, and I do my bi-weekly webinars uh, and I never get asked to talk slower or kind of just <laughs> ram it on for an hour and then put the phone down. You don't so, even
0: interpret it into Chinese.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly that. So they... You know, let's say they've got half, half a million pounds to one side, and their concern is: is it is it better for me to put this into some UK, you know, real estate, or you know, at any given time, is the Chinese going to the Chinese government going to put more restrictions on it? You know, the motivation is you know get it over into the UK. Um, so you know, there's there's certain triggers that mean that there's more cash buyers from different areas. Um, yeah, you know. Yeah. But,
0: okay, um, let, let me, like, I'd like to ask you a little bit, um, Richard, also about um, what you what you've seen in the market over the last year, because obviously across the UK housing market, we've seen you know massive growth in prices um, in, in terms of your business and what you've you've experienced. Have you seen the same with HMOs? And secondly, what do you think are some of the indicators moving forward? Do you think that we're going to continue to see? Such a lot of house price growth. Uh, what's your view about stamp duty? Do you think that's been fueling it, um, or you know, do you think there are other things that we should be kind of keeping an eye
1: on? Yeah, so um, I think to, to, to go to the first question, the, the, the sale the sale of up and running HMOs is, is really strong, um, and that's driven by. Stamp duty. We've got, you know, obviously got a lot, lot of buyers coming in, and they, you know, buying uh, the, 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 they're incentivized by that. Um, but I think, as an overall, for various reasons, the HMO resale market is quite is, is quite strong um, across the board. But on the valuation side, how that affects the valuation? We get, uh, 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 and again, the anecdote I brought bring up quite regularly. It's probably about a year ago now, but I had one of our buyers. He bought he an HMO in Liverpool. It was fine. You know, going ticking along, fine. Bought it at about thirteen percent gross or something, and he said, um, "Oh, I've seen the Guardian. You know, the house price in Liverpool have gone up by five percent." And I said, "Oh, great. Have, have your rents gone up by five percent?" And he says, "No." I said, "Well, your house hasn't gone up by five percent then, because all of these, you know, there's there's a there's probably, uh, you know, there's probably a, a kind of little belt just outside London or just around London where." You know, the balance of I value it on a yield basis and, oh, my God, it's just exactly the same as the bricks and mortar price because it's in a high value area. Yes. So, um, you know, somewhere in Buckinghamshire or maybe Milton Key, or, you know, wherever it is, you think, oh, it needs to be 9 to 10% here because that's the market for it. And oh lo and behold, it's doing 40 grand a year and it's worth 400 grand as a semi-detached house. So, therefore, you're buying decent income and you're buying in at 9 10%. But actually, you can still read the Guardian and go, oh, it's done up by 5% as well, because you've got that balance of, you know, uh, you've got the bricks and mortar value on par. But if you're going yield chasing, and if you're buying at 12, 13s, 14s plus, I valued it at 12 plus because it's above bricks and mortar. So therefore, you know, uh, and there's a, there's a sliding scale of risk that comes attached. You know, so buying in at 14%, comes with X amount of risk for the investment. And then if you boil that all the way back down to uh, you a know, pension fund buying a retail park with Sainsbury's as a tenant at 3%, then that's got a different risk attached and everything's in between. So if you put a long 20-year care lease and they go out at 6%, or if you've got, um, yeah, to use to go back to the analogy before with, um, with Leeds Student, the reason why they're going out at 9% is because they are, as you said, any examples of houses at 100% full, a lead student house in the right area is always 100% full year on year. So you're buying in at the price that factors in that risk. So, yeah, um, yeah. And presumably, you know, I mean,
0: you, you have to take into account all of those different factors when you're valuing the HMO, don't you? You've got to look at what the local figures are. You've got to look at the the, the state of the, the property. You've got to understand the um, tenant turnover, uh, the type of AST, the type of tenant that it's attracting. All of this goes into your brain when you're coming along to do evaluation. Have you um, you
1: you just read my booklet? (laughs) Have you just read my booklet? Because I've just just turned that all into a booklet because I am sick and tired of people. Because, um, yeah, exactly that. So um, everywhere I go in, um, you always start off um, with, okay, so uh, I'm in Croydon, so I know it needs to be around 9%. So that's my benchmark when I'm driving down there. And then it'll either overwhelm me uh with uh, surprise in a positive aspect i go wow this is amazing okay this is eight percent and, and a lot of that one of the things that we didn't mention is you know obviously this condition tenant type quality when was a refurb done but also it's lendability so if it's a six bed or if it's a seven eight bed or if it's a commercial to resi then there's access to different lending and the more people can lend on it that can compress the yield as well um so you know, all of those variables go into it, and I, you know. And to, to turn that round, somewhere in the north, if I got asked to go to Doncaster, I know, I know, I'm probably walking in something at twelve and a half to thirteen and a half, pretty much. Um, yeah. probably the most expensive lower yield that I've sold in Doncaster from is probably closer to twelve for something really quite good. Um, and again, that would probably be sue generous, big, able to go out and get mortgage on it. Um, and then. The, the probably the cheapest that I've sold in in Doncaster would probably be getting up to fourteen percent because it needed a bit of work or it was a bit you know. But which one's the better investment? Because we say to our investors, you know, don't get blinded by the gross yield. Because you know, if if you're buying at fourteen percent, but you're buying eighty percent occupancy and a few headaches and a bit of an issue, will you buy at twelve, but it's ninety percent full?
0: Exactly. But it's you
1: know so you know there's, there's...
0: people don't always understand this about gross yield is that the the, the gross yield gives you a, a flavor actually of the quality of the property as well as the quality of the tenancy so the, the lower the yield um probably the better the tenant but equally the higher price you're going to pay for the property um whereas the the higher the yield you're going to get probably um you know slightly less good tenants the property might be not in such good condition. Um, it looks attractive because you're thinking, oh, it's 14 percent, but actually, that's not quite how yields work, is it? And yeah. and I think for people to, they've got to get their head head round that.
1: And providing that, it all comes down to the basics, which is what I, you know. If the HMO solves the local housing need that it's intended to, then the HMO will work. And so long as, you know, it's if it's in an area where the average, you know, where the bulk of the tenants, the big ball of tenants there, the demand is around £85, 90 pounds a room. Create a HMO to suit that bulk, because you'll always be full. It'll always serve a purpose. You know, I mean, you know, size, space, layout, right row, right location—all of those things can be can be created inside earning ninety pounds a room on a six-seven, you know, six-five-six bed. You know, you don't have to go off and go chasing one hundred and twenty pounds just because you know it's it's a vanity project or you've been or you've been sold into it, knowing that. Well, actually, at the top end of the of the tree in these areas, you know, there's, there's a lot less people that can afford consistently 120 pounds a week. And there's yeah. lots of people that could, there's lots of people that can afford that, but they don't stay in HMOs for very long. Yeah. And, th- and then you end up with wear and tear and churn of tenants and people, you know, yeah, uh, you know, the amount of HMOs, believe it or not, I go to, and there's, you know, there's photographs of a couple of kids and there's a mattress under the bed. And, it, you know, it's a, it's a bloke split up, pulls a mattress out as his son stay over on a Saturday, you know, and they, earn good money, construction work or whatever it is, and you know thirty grand plus, uh, can afford to pay for a nice one hundred twenty pound you know plus room, but they leave after three months because they get back with their partner, or they find or they find someone else, you know, and then you've or got they avoid. Get a
0: f- single family buy to let and they're prepared to pay a little bit more so they have their own space so they their kids can come
1: yeah. and have their own bedroom. Yeah, and it just happens in different parts of the country. It's not that de- it's not def- definitely because you posted actually about what where's what's north and south you know and uh, it's, it, it it's, is it's a
0: question I was asking myself is there a north-south divide and I think it's really interesting the different replies that we got from different people I think most people yeah. agreed that the only north-south divide is in terms of the weather
1: <laughs> yeah it's true yeah that's true actually yeah but I, I, I think so I see um, you know there's just there's just more, pe- people are always trying to create the best HMO, and, you know, and get the highest room rates. And, you know, they do work everywhere, but there's just more genuine professionals in places like, you know, the Southeast. Uh, and then you've got hotspots across the North and across, you know, but there's just there's just more of them. So, you know, so
0: let me ask you, what do you see in terms of um, room rates then? Because I, I've seen other people post and say, oh, there's not really much difference between London and the northwest and the northeast. You know, uh, it, there might be a band in the middle of sort of between, say, £90 a week and £150 a week. But really, outside of those, it's very, very narrow. And across the whole UK, generally rooms are going to be. You know, no lower than about ninety pounds, and no higher than about one hundred and fifty. But you see this—you really got your finger on the pulse here. What yeah. do you think is that banding, Richard? Do you think it's as, as? I mean, I know that might sound quite wide to some people. I think that's very, very narrow band of about sort of sixty to seventy pounds difference. Is there a much wider band? Do you see much higher rents in the south as compared to the north?
1: Yeah, there are, and it, you know, and there are people. Um, You know, I think a thousand pounds a room isn't uncommon. Uh, certainly, Brighton, places like that, and uh, you know, and in the south um, fringes of London, into London, uh, and more than a thousand pound a month isn't isn't uncommon. And to go to the other end, 65 70 pounds for a small, uh, you know, there's places where so to pick, bring up an example like Wolverhampton, um, all of these small terraced houses, little four-bed HMOs, um, you know, where traditionally they were just student, 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 and then the, you know the university starts building. Their own accommodation. So then you, you you know you're scrapping. You really are scrapping around to the bottom end, but the houses aren't designed. They're too small to go. Okay, well let's go ensuite and let's move, make the rooms bigger. They're very much on that cusp of six and a half square meters, and it's there's not much you can do with them. Um, so you know I've seen those to hit to hit the numbers 65, 70 pounds. Um, you know low. Uh, the, I think the the, the average. I get concerned if anything goes above a hundred. So, it's, for example, in Doncaster, there's quite a lot of houses where the top floor, the third floor, is is almost like a flat, and you've got a self, you've got a kitchen in there. Especially if, if you've got double occupancy and the license, but you've got you know a kitchen up there, an ensuite, and it's into the eaves, and it's a really big, nice room. Um, you know, I wouldn't be concerned if if that room was going out consistently at 120 a week, for example. But for a standard double with an ensuite. I start to get worried if they're showing, you know, above 100 in most northern areas, um, because, uh, you know, I think you've got to look beyond. Yeah, there will be takers at 120, but actually, you'd rather some, someone paying 100 and stay there for two years and it to be affordable. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and then, it, you know, in the in the student market, it, it, you know, sometimes it can be absolutely mental. You know, you can, you can go to st- student property, you think, yeah, they're paying 600 pounds a month, and they're not even getting a non-suite you know <laughs> you know so I think uh, my
0: son falls into that bracket he's at Newcastle University just graduated actually or about to graduate and yeah. uh, when I looked at his rental for the year I was like ah, you know yeah. not only should you be getting ensuite, but you should be getting beautiful furnishing and you should yeah, have yeah. weekly cleaner and you should have all your bills included but no you still have to pay for the bills
1: on top captive of Captive it. audience it's a captive audience it's, it's, it's tenant driven so you know it doesn't the property is completely irrelevant to a student woodchip hmo next to the bars and clubs will always do better than a boutique hmo four streets back yeah, you know it's yeah, not it's you location. know stu- student markets it's not amenities driven right, you know it's no, it's location right. driven um and that's you know and there's always the bank of mum and dad that buy these hmos at stupid prices as well like you mentioned newcastle right? you know you go around Jesmond you know around there and you think you know these prices are. You've got to go some way to find HMOs worth more money. Mm. You know, they're eight. They sell at 8%, eight percent, eight nine percent.
0: Amazing, yeah. amazing. Unfortunately, yeah. well, we didn't actually buy one, but I certainly just have to stump up something to help you with the rent. Yeah. So, Richard, uh, I mean, it's been I could go on for ages asking question after question after question, but I'm conscious you've probably got something else to do with your day today. So I'm going to, I'm going to love you and leave you. But before we go, there will be people listening to this podcast and maybe watching this uh, live and watching the recording on YouTube as well, who might be in that mindset of thinking, do you know what? I'd quite like to buy uh, an already up and running HMO. I actually quite fancy rather than finding it and, and funding it and then having to finish it and do all the refurb. I'd really quite like to buy one that's already made and alternatively there might be people who've got hmos and they are now starting to think of as you said retiring or maybe they've got some reasons why they want to get rid of their hmo maybe they've left too much money in or they've got other reasons why so how can somebody get in touch with you
1: the website is thepropertyadvantage.co.uk um, and we've got some quite user-friendly booklets on there which kind of um, you know the websites where you can read a book Yes. And the pages turn. We've just had that last week, so we're quite proud of that. That's thanks to Jessica. So, um yeah, the website. But if they want to find me on Facebook, um Rich, um, you know, in the HMO groups, if that's you know, there's a lot of HMO landlords in there, and send me a message and just chat to me directly because it's, you know, I'm still very much, I've got a job in the business, so I'm more than happy to to chat to anyone on the investor investment or the or the sales side but um yeah check out the website the property advantage as
0: well so that everybody can um click on those links and and, and find you as well
1: yeah Um, i appreciate that Wendy. thank you uh,
0: no no thank you very much indeed you know uh, i think you offer tremendous service um you know your knowledge is second to none and i really think that you, you know you add value to the community as well because you tell it as it is you tell it as you see it and I think that's really incredible for people to have that knowledge coming from you, which is, you know, all, well, do you, do you go into Wales and Scotland or is it mostly just England? that
1: you're? Uh, yeah. So we do Wrexham into kind of North Wales and then we do, um, I wish I could show my map actually. I've got a big cross in, in mid Wales cause we don't, you know, it's not really, but then mm-hmm. South Wales, Cardiff, Swansea, you know, Port Talbot, Newport, that's a big HMO market around there. Normally you know, student driven, um, mainly but yeah yeah and and not so much Scotland if I'm honest just just kind of England and North and South Wales
0: yeah perfect brilliant okay so if somebody's looking for uh, an HMO in one of those areas they can contact you and equally if there are people out there who are listening and think "Mm, actually maybe it's time for me to divest myself of one or two of my HMOs and do something else or reinvest it in some other way then please do get in touch with Richard I can absolutely vouch for his team Uh, their communication is second to none absolutely brilliant customer service Um, They've been amazing to deal with. Uh, No question is too big or too small. And they're very, very responsive and extremely uh, fast on the uptake. Uh, we have our own oh. WhatsApp group, and I just think that yeah. your your team have been brilliant, Richard. Well, that'll be
1: Lindsay. That that'll be um, you. Probably talking about Lindsay there in France. Yes, so yeah. Lindsay. That's. I'll, I'll pass it on. Yeah. Thanks, Wendy. I appreciate that. No,
0: really enjoyed that. Really enjoyed that. Okay. Well, listen, Richard. Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate your time. And I'm sure there's lots more I could ask you about. But maybe we'll have a we'll have a secondary follow up. Maybe in six months' time, we'll see where things. Yeah.
1: Are sounds good. All have right. Great, great, Wendy. Year, and thanks so much for being here today. Bye. Okay. See you. Bye.